Hey, Ty Brady here with Brady Insurance Marketing in the Ty Brady Way, one of the nation's largest field marketing organizations that helps independent agents achieve a six and seven figure income with the systems and strategies that I'm going to talk about with you today. Welcome back to another episode of the Ty Brady Way. I've had a lot of questions. At, the people have asked me about my trip that I took to Africa. You know, that was probably 22, 23 years in the making where I finally had a buddy that had uh, the financial means to do the same thing. And uh, we started planning that trip in right before COVID. And then obviously things got shut down and so it got delayed. And part of the problem was, is the guide we were going to go with he had people that he had already taken deposits with to go to Africa that they had to come in line first. But we finally made it. A couple of things is uh, you, you've got to, we did a 10 day hunt. It was 12 days of travel. Um, and it was, uh, getting there was, was nice because I was anxious to get there. But one of the, the bad things was is coming home from, uh, we had to take a life from Port Elizabeth to Johannesburg and then Johannesburg to home. It was a 16 and a half hour flight. And most of those flights, they start, they, they, you leave there in the evening and you land back, you know, as an, as an example in Atlanta um, and it's daylight. But I remember falling asleep on the way home because I was tired. You know, hunting in South Africa was up at 530 to bed at nine. We did that all day, every day, especially with the amount of animals I was, I had uh, purchased to harvest. I had to make sure that we got those, those done. But it was, uh, I remember waking up on that airplane and I still had eight and a half hours to go. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? So, uh, but just be prepared that if you're going to go to South Africa is where I went, um, that uh, it's a long flight, but it was well worth it. Some things that were interesting to me is, you know, we, we hunted family ranches that had been around since 1824 or 1801. And I think Africa gets a lot of flack about high fenced you know, ranches. And there are some of those, don't get me wrong. There's high fence to where they may bring in an animal for somebody to harvest. But where we hunted, the animals were free ranging and we hunted seven different ranches. And the reason that we hunted seven different ranches is different species were at different locations. I think the highest elevation we hunted was probably 6,700 feet. Um, I live in the Rocky mountains. And so there's a thing called buckbrush. They have a different tree that is not called buckbrush, but it's similar to that, but very similar terrain. And, uh, you know, I hunted a kudu, which is similar to a Rocky Mountain elk, and they were actually rutting, so that was cool to see. But it was it was a very, um, so we're hunting high elevation, low elevation, understanding that the, the game that's there is owned by the landowner. So what would happen is a lot of people ask me, well, did you eat the meat or can you bring it home? You're not allowed to take the, the meat from another country into the U.S., so the meat had to stay there. However, you're able to bring back taxidermy or, you know, in, for in my instance, I'm doing European mounts and two rugs. So I'm going to have two office rugs um, that I'm going to put down that I was able to do. And then all of the horns that I was able to, to have from these animals, I'm going to hang in my garage. But you, you have to leave the meat there. But here's what they do with the meat. So the previous week's hunters that were there, we eat the meat that they previously had, had harvested. So I was able to eat springbuck, niala, kudu, warthog. Um, the only thing I was not able to eat was a red hartebeest. And the red hartebeest, uh, 
and I was, you know, people are like, was it gamey? Actually, it was awesome. The meat was so good. So the, the meat that those previous hunt or the previous animals, those hunters killed was the meat, the, the meat we ate. And then what we ended up harvesting, my buddy and I, that was went to the next week hunters and any meat that the landowner doesn't want, because that's who has the first right of refusal on the meat goes to a butcher. It's chopped up and then sold. And then the money, usually it gets the guide, keeps it, and the guide gives the landowner the dollars and cents from that animal that was harvested. All of the animals are privately owned. I'd say it's similar to like Texas. A lot of Texas, you know, Texas, there isn't a bunch of BLM land or state land. Most of it's private. So uh, the game there is also private. But it was it's it was a culture shock. I mean, you you would talked to the guy who owned a farm and he's the youngest of three. And he said, my two older brothers didn't want to do it. My one brother's in the, uh, what is it? he? He uh, ships seafood. So seafood is what he did. His other brother worked for some corporation and, but he took the farm over and he has 13 ranch hands. They work for $250 a month. They don't have to pay for room and board though. They don't have to pay for clothes. They don't have to, they really don't have any expenses other than their wage. To think about that, they work for three, less than $3,000 a year and they survive in, the, in, in these ranches. And he says, I always have a, a, workly, a weekly meeting with my ranch hands, kind of what I want them to do. And he says, I always encourage them to take some of that money and to go buy sheep or buy cattle. He's like, they can run it on my land so that they have something for retirement or, and they don't. One of the other things they do, oh, sorry, I didn't mention, is they get a sheep and $250 a month. So sheep, they feed their animals. And I'm telling you, there is not a single piece of that animal that goes to waste. And that and that's kind of how it goes is they, they are prized possessions. They treat these animals like gold because that's where a lot of their revenue comes in from their, their hunts that they do. Um, the cost, I get asked that a lot too. It ran just on just shy of seven thousand dollars, or you can uh, say it cost one hundred thirty-five thousand rand. So uh, maybe I should just tell you it was one hundred thirty-five thousand rand, but it was a little under seven thousand dollars, and then airfare, and it took about two and a half years to get to the the guide. We stayed in seven, or excuse me, three different locations. We stayed at a place called the Afton House because we couldn't get a flight out to Port Elizabeth the same day, so we had to stay in at the Afton house one night, which was awesome. You know, they had taxidermy there. They fed us. They had a pool. They had a private room. I mean, they really carried her to foreigners and hunters that come in. Then we stayed at a place called Spring Vale. Spring Vale was a uh, ranch that was, uh, I believe he said it was 6,000 acres. And it, we stayed in a house that was a rambler, about 8,000 square feet, huge and, um, you know, what's interesting is that ranch has been for sale for a long time, but there was ranch hands that were right adjacent to us where we stayed there. We, and then the last one we went to, uh, was, uh, Nick Bowker's, uh, new completed, um, ranch. What do they, what do they call them? They call them, uh, places where hunters stay. He had eight rooms and they catered to you three meals a day. They took, you got a lunch. Every time I went back to my room, it was, you know, big old king size bed, running water, Wi-Fi so you could talk, talk home. Um, it was about a seven hour difference. So I'd be going to bed and my kids would be getting up here. So then when I was, you know, getting up, I was 
my kids were asleep. So we had to kind of work that out a little bit. And the power goes out about every three to four hours because the country does not produce enough power to, for the supply that's needed. So we ate a lot of dinners under candlelight. We, and what's happening is a lot of them are transitioning to solar with inverters and battery packs so that they can be self-sufficient. And some of these ranches, they're off the grid. They're, they, they have zero grid. You know, they're running septic, they're running solar, they're running, they may have a, a diesel generator. So if the power goes down, but just kind of a cultural shock that is so interesting. The population, I think, in in South Africa, not South Africa, but Africa in general, or South Africa is about 60 million, um, which I thought was a big number, but it's a big state. And just a, just a total culture shock. There is definitely a culture divide. And, you know, there are people, it's segregated. Even the police officers where I was at had security guards. They, uh, they t the one late, the, the, the guide's wife, she was a school teacher and she told us a story about the lawnmower, the weed eater, and all the school supplies got taken out of the janitorial closet and the security guys found it the very next day. The police did and the security guards. So definitely a culture shock. The food was great. Um, they live on very simple means. Um, what I would tell you is don't go into town at the end of the month because we did and it was a zoo because everyone got paid. So everybody was there spending their hard-earned dollars. Unfortunately, most of them would spend it on alcohol or other substances. That's kind of where they blow their money that they make every month. Um, because again, they don't have to pay for, a lot of them don't pay for room board, food, meals, stuff like that's all provided. So all they have is their a supplemental income to buy shoes, shirts, or something that they may want. Uh, Africa was a great experience. Um, hopefully all of you understand that none of that meat went to waste. Anything that was harvested was put back in the community. And that community thrives because of that, especially where we were. Uh, I would encourage anybody that wants to do it to do it. Um, it's a great, it was a bucket list for me. Uh, I will go back. I, in fact, I talked to my sons when they graduate from high school, they want to go back. I want to wait till they're a little bit older. So they appreciate it. Uh, last thing is I shot a 300, uh, a 300, uh, there was a 300 with a 200 grain bullet. Most of my shots were 200 to 471 yards. And it was just a great experience. So for all of you that know that I went to Africa, hopefully you'll be able to listen to this and tune in and we'll catch you on the next one. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Type Radio Way. As always, share, like, and subscribe. Um, go to Instagram at ty.r.brady. And as always, love hearing from you. And let me know what you want to learn on the show or what you'd like me to bring up on the show. Thanks. You can find the Ty Brady Way on Instagram as well as Facebook. To stay connected with giveaways and Ty himself, go ahead and follow at ty.r.brady on Instagram as well as Facebook. This podcast was recorded, edited, and produced by Whitney Face Media Marketing. The theme music is an excerpt from Hot Chicken of the Woods by Isaac Joel.